All right. See, I told you there's lots of fun things going on in our church family today, and we're just getting started, so I'm shuffling all my notes and going to the next thing now. Uh, Let's spend time together in God's Word. But here's where I want to start. Imagine, a, we're going to imagine two scenarios. So um, perhaps here's scenario number one. Put yourself there. Put yourself here. Imagine this is your situation. This is your life. What is God calling you to? After six hours paddling down the Amazon River and what feels like 600 mosquito bites, you've arrived. You're part of a missionary team sent to live with a tribe in the middle of the rainforest for the next decade. You tie your dugout canoe to a tree, and your translator asks around for your local contact person. You meet that person, and then you get settled into your five-foot diameter hut. What do you do next? Scenario number two. Scenario number two. Put yourself there. What is God asking of you? You walk out your front door like you do every day. You head to the car. You get in and start driving to work. You give the obligatory wave to your neighbor, whose name is either Jim or John. You're never quite sure which. You work hard all morning. You eat a quick lunch at your desk alone, then back to the grind. You get home, mow the lawn, eat dinner, and watch TV until you drift off to sleep. What do you do next? So I, I stole that, those scenarios from a, from a resource I was reading recently. And, uh, and, and I, would, I don't know, you may agree with me here, that uh, we would probably approach scenario number one with more intentionality, with, with more seeking God to know, what do, I, what do I do next? What do you have for me? Um, we, we might be more intentional because we see that as a, as a true missionary. We, we see that as the circumstances in which I would want to then ask God how I can be a conduit of his love and a proclaimer of the good news. So maybe we would be more intentional if we were in situation number one. But circumstances number two, or the scenario number two, is no different. We've talked about the fact that we have a ascending God, a God who sends. And if he is ascending God, then we are a sent people. And you, church family, as you sit there and as you imagine the week that you're about to embark on and as you think of your workplace or your school or your your friendship circles or the family members you have or the hobby clubs you're a part of, God has you exactly where he wants you to ask that question of, what do I do next? God, what do you have for me? How can I serve you? He has us on our, on, in our city for a reason, on the street we live in for a reason, at our workplace, at our school, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family. Uh, a danger for us, as followers of Jesus, a danger, an obstacle for us is, is the potential that our conveni- the conveniences we enjoy and the comforts we have and the routine we go through daily or our weekly routine, a, a danger for us, an obstacle for us, is that the potential for those things, those conveniences, those comforts, to derail us from our calling to be witnesses, to be proclaimers of Jesus, to be testifiers to what he has done in our life and to his life, death, and resurrection that brings new life. So grab your Bible. And now let's see how God's going to speak to us this morning as we kind of think about ourselves in those two scenarios. 
Grab your Bible and open it with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts is toward the back of your Bible in what's called the New Testament. Feel free to use your table of contents if you need it. Get your Bible on your lap or open your device to your Bible app and find the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. After those four stories of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find the book of Acts, which is kind of the continuing history of the Bible uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection. So Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read a few verses now, and then we'll, we'll take a closer look together. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, all the followers of Jesus were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested over each one of them. And these followers of Jesus, these believers in Christ, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together And they were bewildered because each one was hearing the disciples speaking in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? So how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. All right, so those are the, that's the scripture passage that we want to ask God to help us consider a bit further this morning. And uh, before we kind of go back and take a closer look at some of those verses, uh, I want us to take a minute to ponder God's promises. And maybe even as I say that, maybe some of you, if you... Um, if you have read your Bible some, or if you've been walking with Jesus for a time, you might even have a promise of God come to, come to mind. Um, do we ever ponder God's promises? Do we read them? And do we, do we think expectantly about them and, his, and God's ability to deliver on them? Uh, do we think of God's promises and expect them to be fulfilled? Or are there times when we, we hear God's promises and, ah, just not sure. Is that really going to, is that true? Is that going to happen? Could that really be? So let's, let me just ponder just a few of the promises of God. Let me just list for you and just, just go ahead and listen. Let me list for you just a few of the promises of God from his, his word. God promised to bless the world through his people. God promised that if we search for him, we will find him. God promised that his love will never fail. As as we hear these, are these promises of God that you can 
found your life on? Are these promises of God that you believe to be true or will, are true or will be fulfilled? Or are these places that we struggle? God promised blessing for all who would delight themselves in his word, the Bible. God promised that he is at work in our lives for our good and his glory. God promised comfort in the midst of our trials and hardship and suffering. Do we know that? God promised to finish the work he started in us. Jesus promised abundant, eternal life to those who follow him. Jesus promised that he will return, make all things new, and we will live in eternally in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. The promises of God. Where do they sit with us? Do we know them to be true? Or are we sometimes not sure? And then recently in our study of Scripture, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, after his death and resurrection and before he ascended into heaven, he said these words, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's a promise of God. And so now we get into the Scripture passage for this morning. Acts chapter 2, one, verses 1 and following. And, and so look at verse 2 again with me. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind. Give me, give me some mighty rushing wind sounds. <laughs> that was awesome. Mostly it was just awesome that I made you do that. That was... <laughs> I, just, that, I made that up as we're going along, but maybe you're paying a little more attention now. Okay. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where we were, they were sitting and divided tongues as if of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So what's up with this fire thing? It's really fun to consider the appearance of something that at least seemed like or looked like fire. Uh, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, it's on the screen. John the baptizer, in preparing the way for Jesus, John the baptizer said these words, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, who is he referring to, of course? He's referring to Jesus. He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And we think about um, what else we know from God's word? Previously in the Bible, God appeared to Moses in a bush that was on fire. That's the way God was speaking to Moses. And then at Mount Sinai, uh, when God's people were in the wilderness and, and God wanted to speak to his people and God wanted to impart his law for their good, God descended in fire and smoke on Mount Sinai to speak with his people through Moses. And in, those, and in the days following that, the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, this place of worship that, the, that God's people moved around with them from place to place wherever they went, this tabernacle, God's presence was apparent to them. How? Fire. A pillar of fire that would hover over the tabernacle, representing that God was present with his people, that God was with them as they journeyed, that God would lead them as they went. That's the significance of, of God's appearance um, through fire. And now, 
what was a pillar of fire in one place, in one place of worship, in this designated tabernacle, and now this fire representing the presence of God with his people that was in one place is now hovering over each believer, signifying God's presence with his people. Yet not in one place of worship, God himself by the Holy Spirit living within each of God's people, taking residence, God's presence, taking residence in our lives, taking up residence in the body, in the body of believers, in the body of Christ. So, so fire, and I didn't even talk about wind, but fire is one of our indications in this passage of a theophany, of a, of a visible manifestation of God's presence. And so in this room, in Acts chapter 2, and the arrival of the Holy Spirit, what we have this saying, these tongues of fire and appearing over each believer, what we have this telling us is that God is powerfully present in that time. I had you do sounds like wind, Right? Because I want us to imagine ourselves there and not just go, oh, cool, there was some fire and the Holy Spirit came. Fire! Little, little tongues of fire! An appearance of God with his people. That's what we want to see here. That God is powerfully present, that he is directing his mission, that if he says he is going to work through his people, then he's going to come and he's going to make it happen. This, what you read, what we study there in Acts chapter 2 can only be explained as the sovereign God of the universe working out his rescue plan, something from heaven coming to earth. The greatness of our God at work. So let's keep looking. Let's look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then we have these multiple verses in this passage that explain how many different types of people were there from how many different nations and who would speak how many different varieties of languages. And then look with me at verse 7. And so these people that were there and that were listening to the, to the disciples, to these Jesus followers speaking, Verse 7 says, they were amazed and astonished, saying, hey, wait, all these guys are Galileans, right? So how is it that we hear, how is it that they're speaking in a way that our ear hears our own native language? This is not a miracle of hearing. This is a miracle of speaking. The Bible says there in verse 4 that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. The word that translated there as tongues could also be translated languages. That's the sense of it here, certainly, because you read the story. And that's what the sense of this word tongues is, is that the Holy Spirit came and his people were able to speak in different languages. This is not a miracle of hearing. This is an, a miracle of God's people, of these disciples, of these followers of Jesus, being given the ability to speak a language that they did not previously speak, that by the power of the Holy Spirit within them, they were able to... Um, Speak as God directed them. And it's similar to the gift of tongues we see in 1 Corinthians 12, chapters 12, 13, 14. It's an interesting difference is that in, in 1 Corinthians 12, when there's talk of the spiritual gift of tongues, it seems that, the, uh, that God was not expecting the audience to be able to understand tongues, these, these languages or this spoken word. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 12, there's an expectation that there's also someone to translate 
But here in Acts 2, it's so cool because the expectation is that these will be understood. This miracle of God giving the speaking is going to be understood. The audience is going to hear God's working in their own language. And so how cool is that? How cool is that? That our God who loves us and pursues us and wants us to know that he wants to be in relationship with us, our God that comes after us and doesn't want anyone to, to go without him, he does, that he wants everyone to be saved. How cool is it then that our God, his rescue mission continues. His power makes it possible to do anything he wants. And if he wants little old Derek to be able to speak another language so you hear it in your own tongue, in your own that's amazing. And that's God at work. God's love pursues us. His rescue plan cannot be stopped. This passage is an example of God working by his power through his people so that people would come to know him. So that people would know how much he loved them. And while that language thing and this, this miraculous gift of speaking is interesting to ponder, what's even, here's, stay with me on this part. While that gift of, of, of speaking languages is, is incredible to think about and to imagine and, and to think how great God is pursuing us and making that possible, while that's interesting, here's what's even more important, I think, in this passage. When we read Acts chapter 2 and we read about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, what we want to remember is that this is evidence that Jesus is alive. This is evidence that Jesus is alive and has ascended into heaven and at the right hand of God, he reigns over all things as king of the world. What Acts chapter 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit tells us, I mean, look at this, right? A, a few verses ago, the disciples of Jesus got to, still had Jesus in the flesh with them. He was teaching them the gospel of the kingdom. Remember this? And then as they were standing there and as Jesus was with them in the flesh, he began to do what? He began to rise in a cloud, and right before them, he went into what? And where did the rushing wind sound come from? What went up into heaven has come back from heaven. Jesus, is, he might seem absent. We, we, might, we might have lost his physical bodily presence on earth with us, but Jesus is far from absent. He is at the right hand of God, reigning over all things. And he is behind the sending of God the Holy Spirit to empower his people so that his people can live out the mission that they've been given. We, we know that because of that promise we already looked at this morning, that promise of Jesus back in chapter 1, verse 8, but you, follower of Jesus, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Is that a promise from God? Okay, chapter 2, verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised, and he came through. You know what this tells me? It tells me that God keeps his promises. You know what this tells me? Is that our God is faithful. That if you have experienced his love for you and been able to depend on him, and he was there for you in the past, it shows you that he is faithful, and he loves you, and he is there for you moving forward. Our God keeps his promises. Our God is faithful. In sending the Holy Spirit... God took the initiative to enable his people to explain who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, 
and how we can find new life in Jesus. God had his rescue plan so that people everywhere would hear that they could be in right relationship with God. And so his son lived the life that we cannot live. He died the death that we deserve. He was raised again to new life. That shows that we can have new life too. And then he said, now, go and tell other people, but check it out. You're not on your own. You don't have the skills, the ability. Jesus ascended into heaven, into heaven, and out of heaven came God by the Spirit living within us to empower us to do what he asked us to do. We see this at the end of, in the sec, uh, verse 11. Let's look again at verse 11, kind of partway through the verse. These people, hearing the disciples speak, say, we hear them telling in our own language. So first of all, we have this miracle of speaking that God wants to get the word out. He wants his rescue plan to succeed. He is not going to be stopped. His purposes prevail. So he makes it so that everybody present can hear in the language they understand. And what does verse 11 tell us that they are being told about? Somebody tell me. The mighty works of God, that the purpose for this miraculous gift of speaking, the purpose that God would enable these, all these people from everywhere on earth to hear the good news was because he wanted his believers, his disciples, his followers to tell of the mighty works of God. Church family, there are mighty works of God for you to tell about. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to him and the spirit lives within you, whether that's a short time or a long time, and he is transforming you and making you new from the inside out, if he has forgiven, he has forgiven your sin and made it possible for you to live in his ways, not perfectly, but enabled you to live for him, and if you've gone through difficult times and hardships and trials and God has been, you, been with you in that, and he has brought you through that, and you have seen him fulfill his promises, then you, your life, follower of Jesus, has mighty works of God to tell people about, doesn't it? And besides your own mighty works of God, we have the mighty works of God to tell people about. We, we've been studying Acts for a few weeks, and we've already looked at this verse back in chapter 1, verse 8. Here it is on the screen again. This promise from Jesus, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my what? Witnesses, the name of this sermon series, the name of our, of our preaching series through the book of Acts is titled Witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And, and, and at first we, we hear that promise that we will receive the Spirit, but then we hear this command that we are to be witnesses. We know from elsewhere in Scripture that we are to be disciple-makers. As, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we are to help other people learn to follow Jesus. And sometimes we look at these words on the screen and we think we're supposed to be witnesses, testifiers, proclaimers, conduits of God's love, here where I'm at, nearby, and to the end of the earth. And we could be overwhelmed or we could recognize that God has sent himself his spirit to dwell within us and empower us and enable us to live out these words. So what we want to know, what it's important that we know, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, every Christian, every believer has the Holy Spirit living within you, empowering you to live for him. And it's, it's interesting as we look at the Bible, the story of the Bible, 
Um, Previously in biblical history, uh, if we study our Bibles, previously in biblical history, it would seem that the Holy Spirit was, was almost more of a special occasion appearance of God. God would, by his Spirit, empower certain people at certain times for certain tasks. That's what we see in the Old Testament. Multiple examples in the Old Testament, including the prophets. God's Spirit empowering them for a task that God had for them at that time. But it seems like that was the normal. That was the only experience of the Spirit at that point. Um, but here in Acts, and then here in Acts, in Acts chapter two, it's a very unusual scene because we have people that are already followers of Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit. But then, as biblical history continues to unfold, what is true, what is normal, what is um, what is to be experienced from this time forward, is that. The Spirit of God comes to live within every follower of Jesus from the moment that you gave your life to him. So that's an important clarification. As soon as you, at your, in your life, reached a point where you knew you couldn't rescue yourself, where you knew you needed your sins forgiven, as soon as you reached the point in your life where you knew that your own efforts and behavior were never going to match up to God's standard, and instead, you got on your knees, whether literally or metaphor- metaphorically, and you submitted yourself to Jesus, the one who can save. When you became a follower of Jesus by recognizing that you can't save yourself and that only Jesus saves, you became a follower of Jesus. You became a Christian. And from that time, God's Spirit came to live within you and empower you to live for him. You don't need to, the situation in Acts is an unusual experience because in Acts 2, that was the first time that the Spirit was given in this new way. But as follower of Jesus now, you don't, there's no need for us to wait for the Holy Spirit. There's no need for us to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. There's no need for us to wonder if there's a second coming of the Spirit. When you are a follower of Jesus, you have received the Spirit. He is living within you and ready to help you live for him. So, the significance of today's passage in our series is that we, we know we are to be witnesses. Acts 1.8 calls us as followers of Jesus to be witnesses, to be testifiers, to be proclaimers. But the significance of Acts 2 is to tell us that the power behind our witness is God himself, the Holy Spirit. That the power behind our witness is God himself living within us. I always, a highlight of my, you know, there was one of the highlights of my week, maybe the highlight of my past week, was an opportunity I had to be in a conversation with someone I haven't had a chance to be in conversation with very often. An opportunity to ask questions, an opportunity to listen as the Spirit prompted me and helped me to listen to understand, as the Spirit prompted me to ask questions that would indicate care. This was a highlight of my week, getting to have this conversation, to listen, to care, to get to know this person, to empathize. An opportunity God gave me and his Spirit prompted me to pray for him on the spot, which was a little bit uncomfortable at first, and I didn't know if he would expect it, and I didn't know if I felt awkward, but the Spirit said, you know what, you should pray for him, and so you know what I did? Praise the Lord, because Derek doesn't always do what the Spirit tells him to do. I prayed for him. I'm talking highlight of my week. Learning to live by the Holy Spirit. 
Learning to live by the fact that I am to be a testifier to the mighty works of God and that I'm not left to my own strength. I'm not left to my own verbal skills. I'm not left to my own storytelling. I'm, not left, I'm, I'm in my own sinful mess. And yet God, by his spirit, lives within, empowering me to obey this command to be a, a disciple who makes disciples, who shares the love of God, who proclaims the good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose again so that we too can live. Let's look at verse 12. They say, all, so all these people listening were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Some of them are, are, are looking. And fire. And people speaking in a language they can understand. And some of their reaction is, what does this mean? What might God be doing? What should I understand? Verse 13 tells us that others reacted in this way with mocking and said, well, they are filled with new wine. It's no surprise that here in Acts 2, this might be something you've experienced in your own life. Here in Acts 2, it's no surprise that people respond to God in different ways. That people hear the word of God proclaimed and act, respond in different ways. That, that, that people see a miraculous working of God, experience his presence and his help and his, and his love, and yet understand it differently or respond differently. And so some in this passage ask, what does this mean? And that question shows that their need for an explanation, their question shows their need to understand. And it might speak for us too. Lord, what does this mean? Help me to understand. When I see you at work in the world, help me to say, what does it mean? Help me to understand. And the good, the good part is that uh, this, this, uh, this question, what does it mean, will really be further answered as the passage continues. Join us again next Sunday, of course as we continue to study the rest of, of Acts chapter 2. And, and Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, is going to stand up and speak. And a lot of what he's saying is the answer to this question, what does this mean? But we know that this is God at work. And then the reaction of the others, verse 13. So when God is active, when God is speaking, people respond in different ways. Some said, what does this mean? And here's the second group of people mocking the events, totally misreading what is happening, handling it awkwardly with humor, maybe because they don't know what else to do, right? Oh, I don't understand. Oh, this is weird. Oh, I'm not sure what I should do with this. I don't have any paradigm for this. So I think I'll try to make light of it and go, I think they're drunk. Totally misreading what's happening claiming that these guys are drunk. This is one of the examples in the Bible of people missing God and end up making a fool of themselves. So when God speaks, how do we respond? When God is active in our midst, how do we respond? By asking, what does this mean? By wondering, asking for his help to see him at work and see what he wants for us and see what he wants us to understand? Or do we intentionally or even unintentionally mock, have no clue, miss God's work entirely, end up making a fool of ourselves? For those, church family, for those of us in Jesus, for those who have found new life in Jesus, who have become Christians, God calls us to be 
witnesses. But he doesn't leave us on our own. He empowers us by the Spirit to be his witnesses, to be testifiers, to be proclaimers. So, you walk out your front door, scenario, well, scenario number one, we know. Let's go to scenario number two. You walk out your front door, like you do every other day, and you walk to your car, and you get in your car, and you go to wherever it is that you go most often. And what? And what's next? The same thing you did yesterday? Or leaning into God, leaning into God, learning to listen to what he's saying to you, obeying what he's saying to you, and then living as a witness and seeing what God does and seeing what God has for you. Father God, thank you. Father God, thank you for the gospel good news of Jesus. Thank you that you are a God who doesn't leave us stuck in our sin, but you are a God who rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that we are not left stuck in our sin, but that through Jesus, you bring us forgiveness and new life. Father God, today as a, as a, as a family, we want to acknowledge that, that, that the word of God can be divisive. As a church family this morning, we want to acknowledge that, that acknowledging Jesus can be polarizing and divisive. God, would you remind us, as you showed us in this passage, that people respond to Jesus differently? I pray, God, that our response to your working in our lives would be that you would help us to reorient our lives, reorient everything we are, everything we do. Would you, God, would you rearrange our hearts and our minds so that you that our ultimate loyalty is to Jesus. Would you reorient everything we do to help us live lives in submission to the King of creation, the risen Lord Jesus at your right hand? God, we, we do get in routines. We do have a lot of comfort and things the way we like it and conveniences in our lives. Would you help us to recognize our mission our calling as witnesses, would you help us to not be distracted by our routines and our comfort and our conveniences? Would you help us to not repeat the same day after day after day? But God, would you help us to reorient our lives so that we can live with intentionality as missionaries, not just if, if we're in a tribe in the Amazon, but God, even as we come out our own front door every day, would you help us to live with gospel intentionality that we, as a follower of Jesus, are spirit-empowered missionaries, ministers of the gospel, conduits of your love, proclaimers of Jesus. God, use us as you see fit, right in the places where you already have us. Father, use us as you see fit, right in the midst of the people you've already connected us with or that you're going to help us to cross their path tomorrow. God, we, we don't want to live for ourselves. We don't want to default to doing our own thing. Father, we want to learn 
to live by the Spirit. So thank you, God, for the cross. Thank you for your son. Thank you for being a God who rescues us through Jesus, and who has forgiven our sin and made us right and brought us into your family. Help us to live for you in all we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.